Hey everybody, Garrett and I are back with another episode of Topical Brainstorm. Topical Brainstorm. We are still going through the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, and we are on chapter five today, which is titled The Three Lessons of Joe Flom. Um, and Joe Flom sounds like a, a grumpy guy. Sounds like a fun character, though. He sounds like, yeah, like a Scrooge. <laughs> a little bit. Pre-Christmas. Uh, but um, Joe Flom was a Jewish lawyer in New York. And the three lessons that we're going to cover are all the things that weren't in his control but led to his success. And they are pretty interesting. Um, and pretty specific to, you know, that day and age and his generation and his group of people. But they prove the point that there are certain groups of people or certain things that happen that just are lucky and create success that are out of our control. But lesson one is titled, The Importance of Being Jewish. So Garrett, what is, what is that? Why is that a thing? So, <laughs> Jewish Americans back in the day, uh, 1800s, 1900s, weren't really well thought of. So, when Joe Flom graduated Harvard, he was, <laughs> as Malcolm puts it, he was overweight, kind of ugly, and he uh, was just a very socially awkward guy. And on top of that, he was Jewish. So when he went to get a job in New York, no one would hire him for those reasons. Uh, so being Jewish turned out to be a blessing in the long run. <clears throat> because uh, Jewish lawyers often would go into business by themselves or they'd uh, create a partnership and start fresh rather than working for one of the big, they call them white shoe law firms in New York. And this, uh, because they were working by themselves and not for these big white shoe firms, they got all the business that these white shoe firms didn't want, which was a big key um, to Joe Flom's success. Uh, because that allowed him to practice the type of law that would become really relevant and really big in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, so essentially he got 20 years of practice at these skills. And then when the script flipped in the 70s, and they defined it as litigation and hostile takeover, or the two kind of... yeah categories which hostile takeover i think was one one company like buys out another one it's like right. when they hostily do it so it's not wanted by one by the company being bought they just like buy all the stock and they yeah they either them. buy all the stock or they sue them a bunch of times until they have no choice but to sell because they're going to go out of business yeah that's like the big pretty sleazy it's stuff very there, hostile but, yeah <laughs> <laughs> so Joe Flom got a ton of practice at this for 20 years and these were cases that the big law firms wouldn't take in the you know 50s and 60s 
And then in the 70s, that changed. It became much more popular. And suddenly Joe Flom was was the guy because he had all the skills. And his law firm that he started when he came out of, of law school because he wouldn't get hired by any of the big law firms, they are now one of the biggest law firms in, in New York. Or at least the they world. were 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. in the I world. I mean, when but was this book written? In downtown New York. So... Um, and that is, that's why this lesson is called The Importance of Being Jewish, is because even though Joe Flom was one of the best in his class, as a lot of the Jewish students were, they weren't able to get the best jobs, which forced them to take that work, which in the end led to great success for a bunch of Jewish lawyers in, in that area at that time one thing i do want to emphasize about joe flom that i think is pretty cool is he didn't even get an undergrad degree but he went to harvard law school um he just wrote harvard a a letter about why they should admit him to law school there and they did which is wow i would think pretty much unheard of but according to malcolm it it did happen (laughs) Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I, I didn't. Uh, I don't remember that part. So yeah, that is that's the first lesson: um, the importance of being Jewish. So, a lot of times, and the way he kind of boils it down at the end is that a lot of times adversity turns into opportunity. So a lot of times, what seems like a challenge or a setback or an unfair advantage that someone else might have. If you continue to work hard, like Joe Flom did, could in the end be a great opportunity for you because of skills gained or whatever it is. Yes. The next lesson, lesson number two, is demographic luck. He goes over this story about Maurice and Mort Janklo. Maurice is the father of Mort. And Maurice was like... People thought that he would have been the guy back when he was in his prime. He had a nice car. He was a lawyer. Um, He was, I mean, I would have thought he would have been the guy, but just based off of when he became a lawyer, when he graduated school, and when he tried to get a job, he was unable to do so because of the Great Depression. Uh... And then he talks about how his son Mort was a very successful lawyer because he was born at just the right time, which was around 1930. Because if you're um, born in 1930, you hit the sweet spot and were born in a demographic trough, which means the generation above you uh, or the year above you had a lot of births your year didn't like fell drastically with the amount of births and then the year after you had a ton of births as well so he mort was able to reap benefits because he uh got to go to a great school new york schools were surprisingly good like public schools were really good back then who would have thought <laughs> well he and he also says that those years of that of the of the depression there were fewer students so there was a higher teacher to student ratio which helped which improved the schools and then there were also a lot of teachers that had graduated and they were the best but they they were great but they wanted jobs at colleges but they couldn't get them 
because of the depression, which led them to be teaching in public schools instead. So he not only had probably fewer students in his class, got more teacher attention, but probably had better teachers as well. Yeah. Or the the New York school districts had better teachers. Sorry, go on. Yeah, no, you're right. And he was able to also... Like, you can even, a good way to picture this advantage is also with infrastructure itself. Uh, You have a giant building made for a bunch of school kids, but it's not filled because it's it's built for a generation bigger than yours. So you have more space, uh, and it's just like a huge advantage. In a hospital, you, you get more attention because... There's less kids being born, you know? Like, if you have to go to a hospital, there's going to be less people there because there's less people that were born around the same age as you, you know? Especially, I guess, that would be most applicable if you're going in to, like, actually birth a child. But um, it's just very interesting. And another part of that is when he graduated college there were way more open jobs because his class was so small yeah so he had yeah just more open jobs and fewer candidates for those jobs yeah but you can conversely look at that and say if you were born at the wrong time let's say early 1900s which is an example that he gives if you're born in the early 1900s you have to live through world war one the great depression and world war two so you probably wouldn't have been at war during world war one because you would have been too young Mm -hmm. but you have to live through that and then you have to take a break from whatever you're doing career-wise to go to war Uh, but before that you couldn't really start your career because you were trying to get a job during the great depression so like you're just set back so far because of events that you have no control over so sometimes you're just born at the right time sometimes you're not he kind of wrapped that lesson up by saying for a young would-be lawyer being born in the early 1930s was a magic time same as 1955 for a software programmer and 1835 for an entrepreneur So kind of driving home the point that there are just very obvious times demographically to be born that were more beneficial than others for groups of people. Yeah, very true. Which makes me wonder what, like, what is, what is our time today, you know, like Uh, with the pandemic? I know it probably, (laughs) probably like you'll have to look back in 20 years to understand the trends, right? Of like things that are happening, not only to our generation who's like getting out of college and joining the workforce but also the kids being born and dealing with the pandemic and whatnot like it'll be interesting to see those statistics i would wager that we're going to be better off than the kids that were going through grade school during the pandemic yeah because their learnings just set back so far yeah especially those in like masks and yeah especially those in certain states that kept their schools shut for like two years yeah like, that's going to be a huge disadvantage for a lot of kids. That'll be interesting to see for sure. But. Okay, moving on to lesson three, the titled The Garment Industry and Meaningful Work. And this one starts off with a big story about 
Louis and Regina something from Poland. You gonna take a crack at that name? Uh Borgnicht. Borgnicht. <laughs> they were Polish immigrants who moved to New York in I don't know what year, but um I don't think it says what year. And they were they were Jewish as well, but um they so they got to New York and he was trying to find a job, find a career, find um, something to provide for his family. Um, he went around selling fish for a while and, and all this stuff and then clothes. And then he came upon this idea of selling little girls aprons because he studied what was being sold and, and like the needs were in, in the neighborhood for a few weeks and then came up with that. He made a bunch with his wife one night. They went out that he went out the next day and sold them all before noon. And then he had found his idea and, and their clothing industry and store blew up from there and they were very successful. And it goes into how um, one lucky thing there is that him and his wife both worked at a clothing store back in Poland before they, before they immigrated to the U.S. And then in addition... Jewish people in general weren't allowed to own land in Europe. Were they not allowed to? That's what I have written down in my notes. Interesting. Um, but for a time there, and maybe maybe that depended on the country or the, I don't know, again, what exact decade this was. But because of that, they all moved to the European cities for decades before coming to the United States. And in those cities, instead of learning farming they learned trades they learned how to make clothes they learned other things like that which in new york those skills translated much better than those who had a farming background if which you're gonna would live be in like city. the irish for example yes so that was another big benefit of you know of what at one point at one point was adversity or a challenge became an opportunity because all these jewish people had these talents that actually allowed them to make a living in the cities in the in the United States. Well, not only make a living though. The, <clears throat> a lot of these Jewish people were just bringing in money hand over fist and then dumping it back into their business. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them were had to do with the the garment industry for sure. Uh, what's really interesting is that Jews got Jewish people got to the point where they pre, they pretty much ran the entire garment industry because this story was just so familiar at that time. Jewish people would move in, they'd see a need and then they already knew how to make these things. So they'd go home and make them, they'd sell them on the street. Um, and then eventually their business would grow. Or they'd work for somebody else and then eventually earn enough money to start their own thing. But the the work was really, really hard. It wasn't easy. And they, it took a lot of work. Conditions were really bad in the factories back then. A lot of them would work 80 hours a week. And during the busy seasons, they'd clock over 100 a lot of the weeks. Which just doesn't sound fun. <laughs> at all fun no I so <laughs> but 
to a lot of them, it was satisfying work. Um, and apparently, satisfying work can be defined. I don't know who... He says that a lot of people agree on this, but I don't know exactly who those people are. But it's satisfying work equals autonomy, complexity, and connection between effort and reward. Um, when work becomes meaningful like this and satisfying, it often doesn't seem like work. Uh, I think specifically it would be more satisfying to own your own thing and grow it rather than working for somebody else, but that's just my opinion. Well, that's the autonomy part in a yeah. sense, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah you're right. Um, I agree, though. Yeah. <laughs> Many Jews, though, they, they'd move in, they'd start these businesses, they'd involve their kids, their kids would see the benefit of working hard, and they'd see the effort and reward connection and the correlation between those two things. And then they would start their own business, and then their kids would become trained professionals. They, there was a lot of doctors and a lot of lawyers born in that third generation of, of Jewish immigrants, which I find just really crazy. Yeah, I agree. That was really cool. Yeah. It showed a lot of family trees where the, the grandpa would be like this guy Lewis right who just like had his little clothing company and then his two kids or three kids would all be would all own slightly larger clothing companies or retail stores and then their kids were all doctors and lawyers like all of them <clears throat> and there were multiple family trees that they showed that were just like that and Malcolm Gladwell said of this Jewish doctors and lawyers didn't become professionals in spite of their humble origins but because of their humble origins. So they got to see their parents and grandparents working really hard. Um, they kind of found those ingredients of autonomy, complex complexity, and connection between effort and reward. And that allowed them to become, you know, professionals and be work hard, but also be very successful um, financially and professionally. Um, so yeah, I, that part was really cool to me. Um, I feel like that says a lot about just how, how much your family has an impact on what you do in your life, you know, and the culture and environment that you're raised in has an impact on what you become and how, you know, your work ethic, all of that. Um, I just thought it was a really cool example. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually something that I can, like I've heard, heard stories about my great-grandparents um, picking cotton in, in fields um, with, all, with a bunch of immigrant workers. And I feel like that, that story's kind of coming true in my own life. I'm not a professional by any means. Like I don't, I, I'm a low-level scientist. <laughs> But uh, but you're still a scientist. I'm I am a scientist. <laughs> but the the fact that you can see your parents working and then that ins can instill in you a, a work ethic of sorts, I I find that to be true, and I I've seen that in my own family, which is pretty cool. 
And he also real quick mentions that um, these doctors and lawyers, they saw their parents work hard and assert themselves to shape the world to their desires. So kind of a tie back to the previous chapter where they learned how to influence the world for what they needed and their preferences, which he defined as entitlement in a sense, right? But you need a little bit of entitlement to to have the gumption to go for something like law school, you know? Yeah. Like that's just intimidating. Like you, you, you have to feel like you deserve it. <clears throat> and yeah. I don't want to go to law school. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But, yeah, I totally understand what he's getting at. It's really interesting to see the whole story of success rather than just the conventional. This person worked really hard and made it up through the ranks and and pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and in a lot of cases that's true and you can't go anywhere without hard work even if you're blessed with the right opportunities if you don't capitalize them capitalize on them they mean nothing Um, so but it's interesting to see the stories of how different people have capitalized on the opportunities that um, were given to them whether they whether they were deserved or not, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked the, this chapter because it was about the f- the flip side, how negative became a positive. You know, being yeah. Jewish wasn't wasn't a positive thing all the time back then, and you you weren't treated very well, but they were able to use that to their advantage somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, just by opportunities that you, know, you you didn't think would happen at the time. It's easy to see when you look back at it, but in the moment, yeah, it's not really. And easy. Jewish people as a whole have, you know, statistically they've like taken advantage of that in oh, a good yeah. way. You know, like they they're they're well respected, and um, so many of them are, like you said, professional. Yeah and successful people which is it's it's cool to see that happen with a whole group of people you know well what's really interesting too i'm pretty sure there's a study i'll have to look it up for next time but it was like they looked at intelligence of different people and they found that jewish people are like the demographic with the highest number of most intelligent people per capita which I found really interesting. I'll have to see if I can find it. Don't take that as gospel until I find it. <laughs> but yeah, for all of you who take everything else we say as gospel, don't yeah. Take that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't have anything left to add. I though. mean, yeah, I, I agree. I think we can wrap up. It's, it's. I feel like I have been thoroughly convinced that, um, like nobody comes from absolutely nothing. Like, I think he said that in the introduction, but like, I think everybody and yeah, you put your own hard work into what you make in your life, but like, there's always somebody in your past to, to be grateful for, or, you know, something you learned from usually a parent or family member, but maybe just a mentor, but like you hear, like people like to say, yeah, he like came from nothing. He did it all himself. But like, I think everybody has to some extent, like, ancestors to be thankful for what they have and what they've been able to build. Well, either that or just, like, circumstances. 
or... that may seem yeah. crappy at the time, but worked to your advantage. Like no, no one's blood or no one's uh, no one lives in a vacuum where it's just them. Yeah. Uh, you have to interact with the world, and a lot of the successful people are just the f- people who figured out how to interact in a wor- in the world to their favor. Uh, which, you know, it's a skill. For sure. Yeah, I don't have anything left. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for logging on again. <laughs>